You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Nothing or no one can thwart the plan of God. God has a plan for you, for me, for everyone in this world. He has a plan, and nothing will thwart that plan. Nothing will thwart that plan. God's work will always succeed. Why? Because it's of God, not of us. God's work will always succeed and always go Do you get discouraged trying to serve God? Do you feel like the world is against you? Pastor Dave reminds us in today's message that nothing can stop God's plan for our lives. No matter how hard life seems at times, God is in control. His promises are always true, and His plans never fail. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra chapter 4 as he begins his message, Opposition to the Work of God. the last time that we were together, we saw that the nation gathered together as one to restore the temple. There was great unity. They were of one mind. They had one goal. They wanted to honor the Lord God Jehovah and obey his command to rebuild his temple that was used for sacrifice and to worship. Their leaders, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the priests, along with the brethren, they built an altar of the God of Israel and began sacrificing burnt offerings, which was written in the law of Moses. So they started following the law again. Remember, they had come back from 70 years in captivity in Babylonian. They were there for 70 years, and now they've come back. The young and the old have returned And they want to once again put into practice the law of Moses. They were afraid of the people that surrounded them in the country that they were now inhabiting. And they wanted the Lord's protection. So they thought that if they started following the law of Moses, that the Lord would once again protect them, which he does and he will. So they started sacrificing again and using these burnt sacrifices and offering to the Lord And we talked about this being all done before the foundation of the temple was laid. So they were doing this, knowing that God was going to get the temple built, but they were doing all this before the foundation was made. The people gave themselves to the work of the Lord in laying this foundation. There were carpenters and masons and people who did great work. So they all gave them themselves. They all gave of their time. They all gave of their energy. Many gave of their monies that they had. Many gave of their belongings that they had so that this great work of God could be completed. And that's where we are. They brought food and oil from Sidon and Tyre, and they went up there and they traded it for cedars from Lebanon. But when they finished laying the foundation of the Lord for the temple, they gathered together for worship. 
They shouted and gave thanks to the Lord God, saying, For he is good. His mercy endures forever. They shouted with a great shout. They praised the Lord. But the old men among them wept because they reminisced about the olden days, the good old days in the temple. The young men with joy seeing this foundation laid were worshiping God. And with the help and protection of the Lord God Jehovah, the children of Israel had laid the foundation for the temple and their hearts were one. There was unity and they were blessed because of the unity. Now, as we come to chapter 4, as always, when God's people respond to his call and begin to focus on God and begin to do the work that he's called them to do, an enemy quickly arises in opposition to all that God wants to do. And that's what I see here in chapter 4. Very fortunately, that with discernment, the tactics of the enemy can be easily recognized. And they can be stopped. That doesn't mean, though, however, the road's going to be easy and painless. Usually quite the opposite. There will be, even in your life, temporary setbacks where it looks like the evil one has won. He might even win a victory in your life. That happens. But it's designed to discourage you. It's designed to keep you from worshiping the Lord. It's designed to keep you from reading his word. It's designed to keep you from praying, to keep you from fellowshipping. Because when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we're angry about things, the first thing we want to do is, I'm not going to church tonight. I'm not going on Sunday either. You get so upset, and everything that's happening in your life, you cut out the one thing you need the most, and the one thing that will benefit you the most. You immediately want to cut out God. This is what the enemy wants you to do. You fall right into his trap. We're in a battle, folks. We're in a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know the scripture in Ephesians 6.10. We wrestle against principalities and powers of the air and darkness and dominions and all those crazy things that we keep studying about. We wrestle with them. We're called to battle. But we need to trust in God and his conquering faithfulness. What he did on the cross, we need to trust in that and know that in the end, we win. We are victorious in him and we can be victorious in him as we focus on his goodness. So in chapter 4, what I get from it is Satan now is going to throw various tactics at this group that has come back trying to restore the temple. He wants to discourage them. He wants to frustrate them in order to get them to compromise so that they will do Satan's bidding and not God's bidding. He wants them to give up and quit the work altogether. And that's what Satan wants to do in your lives today. He wants you to give up. He throws things your way. He makes things tough for you. And you want to give up. It's like, I can't do this anymore. And you think, well, it was much easier when I didn't follow the Lord. Very much like the children of Israel. The children of Israel out in the desert complained to Moses all the time when things got rough. You know, it was better back in Egypt. At least in Egypt, we had leeks and onions to eat. Out here, we don't have anything. So they complained a lot. It always looks better back then. But it's not. It's a plan of Satan to discourage you, to get you to fall back. He does the same with us. 
He does the same with us. We get discouraged, frustration sets in, and we quit. We quit. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You should read it. You should always read it. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work of the Lord will not be in vain in the Lord. Steadfast and immovable. But we've said this time and time again, and I'll continue to say it because it's true. Nothing or no one can thwart the plan of God. God has a plan for you, for me, for everyone in this world. He has a plan, and nothing will thwart that plan. Nothing will thwart that plan. God's work will always succeed. Why? Because it's of God, not of us. God's work will always succeed and always go forth. You know the beautiful scripture that we like to read all the time, and Philippians 1, verse 6, you probably can repeat it with me, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God began the work in you, and he will be faithful to complete that work. He will complete that work. So we have to remember that. What does this do for us? Should bring us great comfort. Should bring us great encouragement. Because when we're confronted with opposition to God's work, if you don't believe that you are opposed to do God's work, try to start a work of God and watch what happens. Try to step out and do something and watch what happens. You will immediately find an enemy. You will immediately find an enemy who will come to you and cause you grief, cause you pain, cause you trouble. We should always be on guard, though. We should be ready to deal with the opposition. We should be mindful that we don't spend our life in a playground. We spend our life on the battlefield. We have to remember that. All that being said, let's look at verses 1, 2, 3. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Eshadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Yeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. First off, you see that the attack of Satan is a very subtle attack. Has some subtlety to it. The people from Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, they offer to help the Jews rebuild the temple. And you say, great, many hands make light work. This is a good deal. Let's go. Come on. It seems logical that they would come alongside and help us out. Not so fast. On the surface, these Samaritans seem to be acting like good neighbor Sam's. But their offer is dangerous. Their offer to help is dangerous. There's a problem there is a phrase in here that causes a problem. There's a phrase in verse 2 that is contrary to what to believe. It's a half-truth. 
for we seek your God as you do. Now, if they just said, for we seek your God, that would be a truth, because they did seek the Lord God, Jehovah. But when they tagged on, as you do, that is a half-truth. That's basically, a half-truth is basically a lie. It was a sly approach. It's a lie, only half-truth. And they have deceitfulness. When here these guys are trying to invade the work of God, not to help them, but to stop it. They want to help him. They do worship the Lord God Jehovah. Yes, they do. But they worship many, many, many other gods as well. They don't just worship the Lord God Jehovah as the Jews do. So you see the rub here. Remember when we studied 2 Kings? We saw that the Samaritans were a mixed breed. They weren't really Jews at all. Why? Because when the Assyrians came in to the northern kingdom and carried them away, they left some of the Jews there. But the problem was some of the Assyrians that came in also stayed there. And they mingled. They co-mingled. And eventually they co-married and intermarried. And a new breed was born, these Samaritans. And this led to crazy racial and religious confusion. The leaders who were returning from exile had already rejected anyone who didn't have the pedigree of being a real Jew. Remember we studied that? That they rejected those who wanted to be priests, but they had to make them use the Urim and Thummim to see if they could make the way in to be priests because they weren't really of the house of Israel. They didn't belong to the covenant. Now these guys can't even prove that. This hatred spilt over even to Jesus' day. You remember when we watched The Chosen, how Big James and John felt about the Samaritans. Remember that? But I love the fact that the heads of Israel, those who are in charge right now, Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the heads, look what it says. It says they came together as one voice. They came together as one They talked to them. You can't do this. They all said, no, you cannot do this. With one voice, they refused the help of the Samaritans. They did this for several reasons. Number one, God was leading them, and that was first and foremost. Plus, they did have permission from King Cyrus to come back and build. So they had control, both financially and through human resources. But this was great discernment on their part. Remember, discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in 1 John. Discerning spirits. Every spirit, we need to look and check each spirit. Notice they were unified, still, with one voice. They rejected. Zerubbabel and Yeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers of houses said no to these wannabe helpers. We spoke at length about the power of, in unity. And we see that all through Scripture. We see power in unity. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did they say anything that they possessed, but they had all things in common. They were of one. In 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, we read this. 
Now I plead, Paul speaking, now I plead to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oneness, unity. All right, it seems to be a theme. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the mercy, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, how? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So you have this oneness. And also in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, these great words spoken by the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave to some to be apostles, some to prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, this unity is extremely important. And you see that these guys came against Satan with oneness. They were locked in unity. Satan can't break that bond. He wants to desperately break that bond. He can't break that bond. When Satan comes against us, we need to be unified in our resistance. Scripture says, resist the devil, and he'll do what? Flee. Two are greater than one, the Scripture says. We need to be united in one thing. We have a commonality. We have a commonality. His name is Jesus Christ. And that is what's common amongst us, and we need to be unified in that commonality. Allowing these people to help them would eventually lead to the same thing that happened to them, commingling, socializing, and then intermarriage would again happen. Why was this a problem? Because it was contrary to God's law. Once again, it goes back to God's law. God had told them, come out from among them and be separate. Come out from among them. Come out from among the world and be a separate people. Likewise, as Christians, we must be careful of our associations with anything that will compromise our testimony and hinder the work of God. We have to be ever careful with whom we associate with. We must be careful. Now, we can't be friend of the world because John told us that being a friend of the world is that enmity with God. In other words, if you're a friend with the world, you're at war again with God. We have to be careful here. Separation does not mean isolation. God has placed us in the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. The world doesn't have us. The world doesn't control us. We're in the world. Why? Carry the gospel so there could be light. You are the light of the world, Christ said. Carry the gospel message into the world so they will see. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify their Father in heaven. So we're, that's why we're in the world. So our light will shine. The difference in our lives will be noticeable to those in the world, and they will question why. Why were you this, but now you're this? 
And it's a great opening for us to tell them about Jesus Christ. We get to tell them about our Savior and how he saved us from those things. So that tactic didn't work. Right away, Satan was shut down. Back up, guy. Get out of here. So he has some other tricks up his sleeve. He has some other tricks. Let's look at verse 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. It's interesting. The people wanted to discourage them. They wanted to trouble them. They would discourage them from doing God's work. They would try to diss them, maybe talk about them, make fun of them. Who knows what they would do, but they were trying to discourage them. Why do you think Satan always turns to discouragement? Because it works. It works. That's why he turns to discouragement. It works, guys. It works. It works. And he knows it. It works. Why? Because when you are discouraged, you lose your desire and your motivation to do anything for God. You lose your desire to fellowship with God, to sing praises to God, to attend Bible studies, to witness, and so on and so on. You lose your desire. It can cause you to lose the satisfaction of what you're doing. Serving God is a tremendously satisfactory. It's a tremendous blessing when you serve God and you see people coming to God and you're doing the things of God. But when we begin to get discouraged, we start to lean on our own understanding. We start to think, well, God's plan's not working. I need to do this. That's a bad place to be. That's a bad place to be. The enemy knows that. He knows that about you, and he knows that discouragement works. So he always constantly tries to throw discouragement at you, whether it's in the form of a person, whether it's in the form of a group, whether it's a church, whatever it might be. He throws discouragement at you and makes you become discouraged and lose heart. How did they do this? They told lies about the people in Judah. They told lies about them. And they encouraged the people to do everything possible to discourage the work on the temple. Satan wanted it to stop. Why? Why would Satan want the work on the temple to stop? He knows what happens in the temple. He knows that in the temple at that time, their sins could be covered. They could get right with God. There could be worship. There could be prayer. There could be all sorts of things, fellowshipping one to another. He knows that. And that's what he wants to keep you from doing. That's what he wants you to keep you from doing. He knew what would happen when the temple was rebuilt. He knew the power of God's people in unity. And he knew that what happens when we are in unity and we pray and worship and study God's word. He knows what happens. So he wants to discourage you and keep you from being a part of. He knows that. So he tries that. He tries that. If you discourage someone and you trouble someone, there's always something that's not very far behind, and it's called frustration. It's called frustration. Look at verse 5. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave dove into the book of Ezra, a true story of the rebuilding of the temple. 
On any project God designs, there's going to be opposition. When it came to Ezra's time and the rebuilding of the temple, the enemy didn't want to see the Jews free to worship God in the temple once again, so he caused people to come against it. Have you found this to be true in your life? You're following the clear directions of God and seem to have favor, but along the way the opposition rises against the work. You can take that as a good sign that you're on the right track. No work of God goes unopposed by the enemy, and when you step into God's work, you step into the line of fire. But there's good news. God always prevails. When the plan is God's, He keeps it secure until the end. Don't give up hope when you encounter opposition as you follow God. You're in good company with thousands of Christ followers throughout history. It's always better to have a community around you when the opposition hits. And if you don't have that community, we'd like to be it. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. Come see us soon, and you'll find all the information you need at assurehoperadio.com. While you're there, check out the other messages we have available to you, and click on the link for Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for joining us today. We love diving into God's Word together, and we'll see you next time on A Sure Hope.